Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. I know when I watch the Olympics, not only do I sit spellbound watching the performances, I often think about the dedication, sacrifice, and risk that it takes to focus on such a big event, one that takes four years to prepare for, mentally and physically. The pressure is immense. Is it worth it? When we invited Olympians Swain Tuft and Aaron Willock, now Aaron Zarzadius, to join us on Fast Talk, we intended to discuss whether it was wise to focus on a single big event, for example, that Olympic Games, or World Championship Race, or for the amateurs among us, the State Championship Race, or that one big race you always wanted to win. What are the benefits of such focus? What are the dangers? While we did broach that subject, we ultimately ended up discussing so much more with Swain and Aaron, from goal setting to purposeful training and much more. Swain and Aaron each share their personal experiences with the Olympics and Worlds, the things they would change and the things they'd do the same in hindsight. They discuss the dangers of putting all their eggs in one basket, the dangers of placing too much emphasis on a single day or course in preparation, and in your training. They also discuss how having a purpose and other goals based on enjoyment are perhaps the most rewarding and ultimately most performance-benefiting mindsets you can take. In addition to Swain and Aaron, we hear from prominent sports psychologist Julie Emmerman and elite coach Kendra Wenzel, who each share their perspective on the best way to target races. Let's make you fast. Listeners, we at Fast Talk can do more for you. Join Fast Talk Laboratories, our new sports science training center, and you can dive deeper into the training science you love hearing on Fast Talk. At Fast Talk Labs, we offer pathways, which are like a masterclass exploring key training concepts. We have hundreds of interviews, lectures, webinars, and articles from experts like Dr. Steven Seiler, Tim Cusick, Dr. Inigo San Milan, Coach Neil Henderson, Dr. Andy Pruitt, Sebastian Weber, and many more. And our members enjoy special member pricing on our solutions and services, like inside testing, coaching help sessions, sports nutrition guidance, and more. Learn more and join today at FastTalkLabs.com. Well, welcome to Fast Talk for the first time, believe it or not, in terms of uh, main guests on the program, Swain Tuft. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. As well, we have Erin Zarzadius. You might know her as Erin Willock from her racing days. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. So it's 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 great to have both of you here as as um, you know elite athletes who've had really big event experience, whether that's the Olympics, uh, World Championships, and right now the Olympics in Tokyo are going on. And and I just want to mention that. Today, our conversation is going to revolve around this idea of focusing on one big event or focusing on several events throughout the course of a season. Uh, It's not so much a judgment call on which is a better approach necessarily, though we might get into some of that discussion, Uh, but it brings up the idea of the pressure that is either put on an athlete from the outside or is produced internally by that athlete on themselves. Um, and, and this makes me think of someone like Simone Biles, who 
arguably, and a lot of people say she's the greatest gymnast of all time. And she's had a bit of a struggle at the Tokyo Games. She has pulled out of some events, and we'll see how this unfolds over the coming days and weeks. Um, but it just makes this conversation, I think, more poignant at a time like this. So it might be good to start a little uh, by diving into some of the the stories behind the the origins of this episode. Trevor has mentioned Aaron's story to me before. I don't know if you want to share that story now, Aaron, of, of your Olympic uh, experience and how it kind of took a wrong turn at some point. Yeah, I, before you go into it, I just want to preface this with, you know, Aaron, I remember being out on a ride with you. So I should give a little backstory that Aaron and I were at the, the same center. And, and Aaron, uh, when I was early in my career, really took me under her wing. And I appreciate everything that you taught me and apologize profusely that I didn't seem to learn any of it. But you certainly tried. So I always appreciate that. <laughs> but I remember after those Olympics, having a conversation with you about the experience. And you said to me uh, at the time, uh, after that, I would never focus on a single event again. Uh, and mm-hmm. then the following year, I remember you really focused on the, the whole NRC series. So we're a decade later. Would love it if you could share that story and also tell us if that's still your, your feeling about the, the, that singular focus. The the pre-Olympic story, I mean, it is a long story in a way, like you prepare for four years and there are a lot of factors that go into those four years. Um, Olympic year in particularly for me was, it was a really hard year. Um, it was good and bad though. Like, so I, with my coach and myself, um, I think we did decide to focus on the Olympics as the main event. And in that I ended up being at the Olympics in the long story, like in super top form, awesome form. And unfortunately on that day, I didn't have a great day, but um, because of other factors and, and whatnot. But the, the year leading into that is interesting because um, I, I didn't have any big peaks of fitness planned for my season. And what you kind of forget is about um, uh, qualifying, right? And so the Olympic qualifiers are where we had one automatic for Canada. And if you got a top three at a World Cup, you got that automatic. And otherwise, it was coach's choice. Um, So I went through my season not having great results because I hadn't planned in any big peaks in my fitness. And I think some of the other Canadians were definitely flying early spring and, uh, and getting better results than me at some of the races. So it was tricky. And then uh, leading into the Olympics, I did get uh, the last coach's choice uh, based on previous years, pretty much. Um, but then that choice was appealed within a month of the Olympics. And so I was going through an appeal process and uh, going through lawyers and it was definitely a hard time. Are you describing a, a season where you took a bit of a risk and eliminated a multiple peak type scenario and, and hoped that you would make the team and then you would have one, and the hope, I guess, would be a gigantic peak, if you will, for that Olympic day? 
I'd say, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I tried to do. You put all of your eggs in one basket. Yes, absolutely. I totally did. And it worked out. It was very stressful in the time uh, and drama and all that occurring with that. And it was risky, but it did work out. I had the best form of my life at the Olympics. It didn't do me any good, but it was there. (laughs) And is that because you got involved in a crash? Do I have that right? No, I wasn't. Uh, My teammate was. Um, it was weather conditions and just race uh, scenarios that just didn't work out for mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. The Olympics is a funny race that way. I prepared for perfectly for all the all the things we expected, but I did not prepare very well for the unexpected. And and I guess that's the nature of bike racing too. So <laughs> it's hard that, that not to not to um, start off with. Uh, you know, a judgment call on putting all of your eggs in one basket. But that's the thing about putting your eggs in one basket is that there are some elements that you can't control in racing. Other people maybe crash in front of you and take you out or a flat tire or something like that. And if you've put all your eggs in one basket, then they can all break at once because of something out of your control. Totally, totally. But, you know, for something like the Olympics, I look back and I think it was worth it. It's a, it's a race that comes once every four years. However, if we're talking about a typical season, possibly not. What you watch the Olympics and you hear the, the athletes say, which is an honor to be here, and people watching from their couches at home go, you know, that's, that's loser talk. You, you should, it should be all about the medal. I actually love to share with people your story of getting there and how hard it is to get to the Olympics because you had to, I mean, you were focusing on that for a couple of years to get those points, to get that selection. I I remember, and I hope I remember all this correctly, but there was a a point leading up to the Olympics where they they took all the women who were the hopefuls, put you all in a house together over in Europe. And I remember Tony, your husband, ended up having to fly out there and get you out of that house because of the, the drama there. And then the month before the Olympics, you were essentially being sued by another athlete who, who wanted to get your spot. You know, everything you went through just to get to that start line was extraordinary. It was a hard year, absolutely. Um, and nothing can really prepare you for that. I mean, I wish someone had sat me down two years before explaining the whole selection process and how that goes and what can turn on you. But I didn't have that experience. It was my first Olympics, my one and only Olympics. And, uh, you know, looking back, I understand now how beneficial it could be for athletes to have multiple Olympics and have that experience to go through beforehand, because there's nothing quite like it, at least in my experience. And I wish I had had that, but I didn't. Swain, I'd like to have you jump in here and, and um, maybe the the listeners out there are saying, well, uh, I'm never going to go to the Olympics. So how does this apply to me? So what can you bring in from your professional experience? And perhaps it is the those uh, world champs, uh, the, the time trial back in, I think it was 2008, about focusing on a single event or focusing on multiple events and how that applies more generally to any type of athlete, any type of cyclist out there? Well, yeah, look, I think a big difference in the sport that we do in cycling is like, I think I had, you have a different perspective, right? For where you're like, 
however you're trying to deal with this sport. Olympics and world championships are big events, but I always looked at it like you have so many opportunities to race. And from my, what I started to learn around that time was that it was, it was kind of more important to kind of have a job <laughs> for me. Anyways, I was a bit more uh, survival based. So um, while I did want to go to the Olympics, while I did want to go to worlds and all that stuff that was separate from a professional team. And my goal was always to, to ride on a good professional team and uh, the opportunities there, if I was just durable and ready to go, I would be able to race a ton and have the experience and, and then have that opportunity to get to like a world championships or an Olympics. So that for me was my, my, my number one goal. And I believe that while focusing on, on one event, sometimes when you're racing 80 times a year, uh, you're going to be either great that year or totally rubbish by the time that big event comes around. And it's, it's really hard to plan that within a professional team or like uh, any team that has like other objectives than those things. Cause while teams would love you to be an Olympic medalist or world champion medalist, it actually doesn't mean a lot in the sense of what they're trying to achieve for, for their goals, you know? Well, that's fair. So looking back, do you wish you had had a year where you just said, let's put all the, the other races aside and I'm just going to focus on worlds. I'm just going to focus on the Olympics. Or did you feel it helped you as a racer to just say, I've got 80 races to do this year. I've, uh, you know, there, there's no one that's more important. I've got to do them all. Well, that, that time was really funny for me. Like to explain the world story, it would be hard to not mention the Olympics because that was in the same same year for me in 2008. In 2007, uh, our team Symmetrics, a Canadian team, we'd gone after the UCI Americas Tour to try and create spots for Canadians in the Olympics because if you could win the most points in the Americas Tour, it got you an extra spot, which means we would have had three spots. And anyways, we pulled that off. I'd won the Americas Tour. And I was still on the, you know, as Aaron can attest to, things get pretty crazy when it comes to Olympic selection. There's a lot of other variables you you just don't understand that, uh, like like she said, if you if someone could have told you the the crazy stuff that comes out, you couldn't write it in a fictional novel. And that was my case that winter. And I I was basically looking to hang up the bike like I did many times. Um, I was up in Rossland cross country skiing every day and I didn't touch the bike um, probably until April of that of that same year in 2008 so I was pretty disillusioned and that on top of that my team was coming undone we were losing our sponsorship so it was a really strange year for me and so yeah I kind of did have that perfect scenario so I was very lucky in the sense that I didn't have a ton of race commitments that year um, so I was able to train specifically for the Olympics and then as well as worlds, I had a lot of time at home because we weren't able to do a big racing, uh, blocks, uh, throughout that year. So yeah, it was a, it was a very different lead up and I guess it's kind of taken away from my, my point earlier, but I did actually have the perfect year, but there wasn't a lot of stress because 
it was kind of like once I'd made the Olympic selection, uh, I'd, I'd won the Tour de Bolse. It, it had taken until June of that year before I got the final word that I was actually going to the Olympics. So, you know, in that year of 2008, I didn't actually know. Um, and I was at that point, then I could start training specifically for the Olympics time trial, which was, yeah, the event that I was going for. So it was, it was such a strange year and something, like I said, it was so many weird things were happening. I could go on and on about that story, but in many ways, looking back, I kind of had the perfect lead up aside from all the stress and other factors that <laughs> go into selection and all those things. But I was just lucky. I wasn't that involved in it. I was just like, well, I go or I don't. Now I remember worlds that year you placed second, but there's a big asterisk here that you had a mechanical and had to finish what the, the last about 15 kilometers on, on a road bike, not on a time trial bike. Uh, it was, it was, uh, about 5k to go actually and yeah it was on a it was on a road bike but uh yeah I, I think i was pretty full of adrenaline still at that point so i was i wasn't probably too slow but yeah it, it's always one of those things you you always wonder if if that's what i want to ask you does does that bother you at all or you just say that's just the the way the the cookie crumbles and i still got second and i'm happy with that yeah, I have to say I'm pretty, I've, I've thought about that a lot in my life. That was just a great moment in my life. Uh, it was, <laughs> there was an unfortunate bit where I, I smashed a pothole pretty hard and, and blew the front wheel out. But, you know, sure, it would have been amazing to, to win, you know, win the World Time Trial Championship that year. But I, I'm super proud with how I approached that race. And the effort that I gave, because it was it was everything at that time for me. And when I look back at at my career and what I was I was fortunate enough to do all those years, that was the most important thing for me was just the fact that if I felt I I gave everything, and yeah, that that was that was number one. So yeah, it's cool, but it's just a title, and and second um, up against those guys was was great enough for me. So yeah, it, I think it's, it's all about perspective in life. And I, I don't really look at that moment as like, Oh, I could have been world champion. It's just like, yeah, well stuff happens. And, and who knows, like, uh, I don't exactly remember the, the time gap, but maybe it wasn't enough still, you know, We talked with Kendra Wenzel, owner of Wenzel Coaching, about the sense of accomplishment that comes with targeting and achieving success at one event. But she still warns about the dangers of such a singular focus. Really being able to uh, specifically build the process. Uh, a lot of times what I find, especially when dealing with with uh, you know international athletes, is that, yes, they're, they're, their team wants them to be very focused on a, a single, uh, you know, a single event, but at the same time, they want them here, 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 and here, here. Um, and then a lot of times we're building in training around a bunch of different races uh, and, and travel time and recoveries and appearances. Um, and so that actually gets sometimes in the way of, of building for that specific event. Uh, it makes it more challenging. And so the, 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 
the benefit of training for a single event is that you can make the, the training very prescriptive. You can make it very exact. Um, you know, you can, if it can't be, for instance, if it's a road event, um, you can do, do it on the trainer. You can do very specific intervals. Um, you know, and that's not to say that you still can't do uh, training races or uh, race simulation. Um, of course, those would have to be available to you. Um, but if they're not, they have to make that. We, we actually kind of run into that sometimes, like going towards uh, cyclocross worlds when I would deal with athletes who were not going to be able to go to Europe and do the last World Cups before that, for instance. All of a sudden, they're left um, with a, a month and a half, maybe even two months with, with no scheduled races, and they have to make that all up with, uh, with, you know, with race simulation locally. And that can be really challenging. Um, so on the flip side of that is then having a a season based out of you know a b and c races and sprinkling those a races uh, throughout the season a little bit more um, i think it gives it more of a little more natural flow to the season um, and just mentally um, having a few chances each year to have a, a good performance um, can be a lot more maintainable and sustainable uh, than, than putting all your eggs in the basket uh, of one event. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be that, that, that person, for instance, who finds out they tested positive for COVID before the one event they cared about the entire year. Uh, and uh, so having a few more chances could, could be a very good thing. I think that brings up an interesting question in my mind, which is about the the I guess the not only the mindset that you bring to the sport and what results mean and all of that, but the the process leading up to it. I would think that if you kind of had a lack of focus on uh, the, the a big event, you showed up on the day and a whole bunch of the favorites had issues and you by quote unquote luck ended up second that that almost might be a less satisfying feeling than you show up having focused having done everything right feeling great and then a little bit of misfortune leads to your second place and the question of whether you could actually win is still like I don't really know and it doesn't really matter because I know that that's part of racing um, I did everything I could I'm satisfied with that and that's what really matters versus the the opposite scenario where it's kind of like by a bunch of misfortune from others, I ended up getting a, a result that I never really expected. Totally. Yeah. And, and when I think back to that day, like I was, I was just in shock because I know, I know I had a great ride. I know I ripped it and I just assumed with the flat, I mean, by no means did I slow down or give up at all. I, I was like everything to the line but i was just in shock with the result in general so i like like again i'm still psyched that i got to experience that day <laughs> it's not like there's no disappointment there because again when when you've raced so much you know the difference between i mean everyone puts the emphasis on first place but in the end i was always just proud of the effort and i know just to be at that level was that was that's the challenge that's what we're striving for at the world tour level right and to pull that off i was just really proud <laughs> it sounds like aaron you basically had the same mentality about your olympic experience which is 
and maybe this is the the benefit of having time pass but you're happy with how you prepared you're happy with um you said you might not change things about how you prepared and and uh went into that season and and though the result wasn't there the form was and the process was and you feel pretty good about it i don't know if that's what you would have said on the day <laughs> but you can say that now for sure i think uh absolutely i would say that now and and it's true like i did prepare for that day and i had small results throughout the year but nothing big the week before the olympics i was fifth at one of the world cups so i knew going into the olympics the next week that like the form was there and i had the confidence it just didn't roll out on that day for us but i'm happy i'm proud of that season and and working through all that drama and all those obstacles you know when you're young when you're going to the olympics too i look back and you're like early 20s it's you're young you're still half a kid right so that's a lot of pressure a lot of um a lot of stuff to go through that time in your life and i do look back on it with pride i got to bring this up quickly cuz i did try to look for some research on this figuring there'd be a whole ton of research on on the stress that athletes face dealing with with large events like this like focusing on a, a big event that only comes around every 4 years and Surprisingly, I couldn't find any. I reached out to Julie Emmerman, who's, who's a sports psychologist we've had on the show, and said, Julie, you've got to have a whole bunch of research on this. Can you send it to me? And she replied, can't find any. Uh, but I ended up finding one study that just got published called The Challenges and Stresses Experienced by Athletes and Coaches Leading Up to the Paralympic Games. So this was published in May. And they followed um, or, or interviewed seven athletes and, and five of their coaches, all of who, whom have been world champion medalists. So th these were high-level athletes. And it broke out the sort of stress that they felt. And one of the biggest is what you guys just mentioned is all these challenges and particularly – the unknowns, you know, is my gear going to be there? Uh, they were particularly stressed about, is COVID going to affect this? What's going to happen on the day of? Am I going to feel good? Um, they, they had all those stresses. And what I found interesting in this study, and I'd love to hear what the two of you think about this, is their primary coping mechanism was to get away from focusing on results to focusing on their performance and really just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do is my best performance, and a result is a bonus, not the goal. And that helped them to cope with all of these challenges. How did the, the two of you feel about that? Yeah, I think I probably did that. Um, my whole focus that year was to be as fit as possible during that day at the Olympics and that week. And only once you get to the, I mean, I didn't know I was going to the Olympics until about maybe three weeks beforehand. So I'm just, you know, you're, you're blindly training for this one day all year without even knowing if you're going to attend. Right. So I, yeah, I think my whole year was just planned for that day. However, once I, once I finally arrived there, I was able to um, have that quiet time to sit down and focus and, and re- prioritize a possible result, but not until that time, not, not until right beforehand. One of the things you, you start to realize is, is 
you don't have control over any of those results and and what Aaron experienced in the road race and all these different things you you can't control that stuff but the thing you do have control of is your training and the dedication you have to each day and the discipline that you have so you you tend to cling on to those things because that's what's going to get you through and that's the thing you can actually take something from each day and have a like just have a good view whereas stressing about results or what's going to happen in a road race or a time trial i mean there's just a million variables that you can obsess about that generally isn't going to help you in the the whole long run in yeah i think that's such an important point that i think all of us have had the experience i still say the the race where i was probably on the best form of my life can't remember the name of the race. I was broken away from the field. I had like 10 minutes on the field solo. Had this race won, was really excited, and my chain snapped. And I was so upset about that. I, I walked my bike two miles back to my car uh, because the, the support couldn't help me. They, they couldn't do anything about a chain. Took the time to take my my nine speed chain off of my time trial bike, put it on my ten speed road bike, get back on the course and finish the race. And by the time I crossed the finish line, they were tearing it down. So that was the best race of my life. They didn't even put me in the results because they had stopped timing. <laughs> and and how do you? F- it's you you f- still feel a little irked about that result, or how do you how do you? Uh categorize that now that experience certainly there was frustration and and i'm sure both of you can share a bunch of these stories but you you have to just be a little zen about it and just say there are certain things you control certain things you don't control and that was one of the things i just didn't control there's there's nothing you can do about it so you you can't get too frustrated I'm more frustrated. I'd love to hear what you two say about this. I do get frustrated when something that I could have controlled impacts my race. When mechanicals or illness happens, there's there's nothing much you can do and you have to be zen about it and, and go on with your day. But for sure, the the obstacles that happen that you could have prepared for are very frustrating. So my Olympic experience was it was in Beijing and it was supposed to be, you know, 35, 40 degrees. And we had done all this acclimatizing for hot weather. I remember training in this like heat trailer for weeks on end, trying to acclimatize to heat. And then we went to Japan beforehand where it was 40 degrees. Um, And then on the day of the race, it was out of our hands and it was sunny in Beijing, but our race went into the mountains and in the mountains it was 14 degrees and pouring rain and we had no idea this was happening I had frozen water bottles still that never dethawed I had no rain jacket no clothes you had a 12 kilometer descent where we were shaking and freezing cold at the bottom (laughs) so it was these obstacles that we had no control over and no idea were even happening because we did not have a coach or an official out on the mountain course um, communicating the weather with us. So yeah, those are things that I got frustrated about because in retrospect, we should have had a coach out there. We should have known the weather. Why didn't anybody know the weather? 
Um, it's an easy fix to throw a rain jacket in your back pocket or to not have frozen water bottles when it's 14 degrees. And those things were absolutely super frustrating. I do agree. Like the, the things that you prepare and train for and all those factors that, and, and whatever things go sideways on, on the day. Um, I guess the thing that keeps coming back to me, like, again, you just, we don't have a lot of control over those things. So while I do listen to Aaron's store and I'm like, geez, because <laughs> I remember that, like, I remember doing all that same stuff, like, yeah, so much preparation in the heat. And for, for other races, it was a factor. And it's so crazy to hear your story. Cause I, I do remember watching your race and the weather was ridiculous and, yeah, and how much, <laughs> yeah, how much it shifted. And, you know, we did that great uh, training camp in Kyoto just beforehand. It was like you said, super hot. So when the body's totally prepped for, for that kind of environment, you, your ability to cool is so efficient and that mm -hmm. doesn't help you on a 15 degree morning in the, in the rain. It's the worst case scenario. But, um, in saying that, like, I'm just a big believer and I, yeah, I, I just think that we have to be adaptable too, because I, I think the one thing that racing in the world tour all these years is like, no matter how much you prepare for something, be ready for all the other crazy stuff that happens too. I think while that doesn't help in that whole message, I think it's really always important to, to just remember, like, we don't have a lot of control of those other outside variables other than your own preparation. And that comes from the mind as well. Like how adaptable and how much you let those things crack you, right? Like, in the end, you still had to race, right, Aaron? And you still had to For go sure. out and do it. I and just think, Swain, like on that day, it was such a funny day with the Olympics where we were, we thought we were so dialed. We had yes. everything perfect. <laughs> yeah. And there's no other race in my whole career where we were that dialed. And, but we were on the wrong, we were on the wrong channel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, and who could have who could have known that, right? Like who could Well, Tony was my husband is Tony. He was actually out on the mountains um getting ready to watch the race and he was trying to phone call uh, uh the coaches, yeah. the Canadian coaches and couldn't get a hold of anybody. Because he was like, I'm out here and it's pissing rain and nobody knows. Right. But, but some of the other teams were communicating and they had rain jackets and newspaper sure. and all that ready. And for some, you know, it's just one of those things where the Canadian team didn't get that memo and uh, we met and we missed it. And it's just, it was a simple communication that could have been fixed really easily. Uh, and I think on any other event, you know, you got cell phones, you're not in China, it's easy to communicate. And, and, you, and we were just so dialed on the heat that, um, yeah, nobody was expecting it. Well, I, I think that goes to the initial dichotomy here of preparing for one thing or focusing so yes. much on one thing that you neglect in some ways to uh, understand the full context and the possibilities so that maybe we we can jump onto that and talk about the dangers of that so yeah i think that you I, i'm not obviously i'm not placing judgment on on things as i've done similar things when it comes to preparing for a race and you think the conditions are going to be one thing and you get so focused you get so 
uh, set in your ways, you are very, very confident that it's going to be one way. And then, you know, it's the weather. So things change and uh, crazy things happen. And um, it could happen in a road race. It could happen in a a cyclocross race where you think it's going to be a sunny day and you only bring the the file tread tires and then you show up and it's a mud bog and then you're you're really uh screwed um and those things happen but I think it also goes along with the point of though that's part of the danger of focusing on a single thing is that you end up sometimes with blinders on and get too focused on the specifics and forget that uh Almost anything can happen come race day. So that raises a really good question that I want to ask both of you that gets to this targeting a single event versus multiple events. Even if you're targeting at a single event, do you think it's better to be that finely tuned and that focused on the weather conditions and nature of that race? Or is it better to be a generalist and just try to be as strong as and as tough as possible and deal with the whatever the situation is on the day. I can speak from my own experience and and my my character and I would say the times that I really dialed everything in and obsessed about every detail and got like hyper focused on everything I've generally that's been the worst because the thing the things that I thought I was preparing for, the things that I thought I had dialed were kind of the last thing that I needed to focus on. And I think everyone's different. I know, I know for myself, just because uh, whatever the, the way that I am, that that never really helped me in the end. I just needed to have like a better overall picture of like being durable Um and just like a general view on the, the preparation without obsessing about all the minor details. Cause when I get, cause it's really not my forte uh, as well. I start to obsess about details that just don't matter. And, and while you're out there, you're like those things that, <laughs> that I was going crazy about have nothing to, to do right now with, with what I'm doing. And uh, that's been a really good lesson for me. Like just uh in the sense of like something like bikepacking really brings that out because you can, there's a million more details involved in, in a big trip. And quite often you get out there and you realize you aren't using any of that stuff. You didn't need to pack all this extra crap. You know, you it's, it's about the trip. It's about the journey. It's about the adventure and not necessarily these million other details that need to be perfect. And yeah, perfection for myself just doesn't work out because uh, it's not my forte at all. I would like to just chime in here too. And we're talking somewhat about mindset, but we actually did an episode about um, whether you should build the best engine or focus on specifics of the race day, uh, build that best, build the best engine you can, and then you can apply it to whatever race situation there is or build specificity into your training for a very specific course and event. We had that conversation with Jim Miller in episode 121, I think it was. So check out that episode for a little bit more of a discussion on the the physiology here. Um, So yeah, Aaron, what would you add to this notion? I would definitely agree with Swain. Being adaptable and not over-preparing were definitely my best days on the bike as well. Um, where you just going with, honestly, for me, it was just going in with a good mindset of in, 
enjoyment, to be honest, of um, when I was able to just go in and have fun on those days with the confidence that my form was good. Those are when I had my best days of racing. When I did try to prepare and try to dial it in, you're right. There's always something that goes sideways. There's always something that can throw you off. Those usually weren't my best days either. And something, it's it's interesting too, Swain, that you mentioned bikepacking. Um, I, I think to, to the, the average listener, they might think, well, what does bikepacking have to do with the world tour? Or what does bikepacking have to do with my my uh, crit this weekend? I think I think what you're getting at is you can obsess over a lot of the details, whether that's equipment or training or mindset or the course or the weather, all these things, um, and get so focused on that that a you add a layer of stress to your planning um, and preparation, which doesn't do anybody any good in any situation. And then you focus so much on those things, you forget the big picture, which is, you know, showing up prepared, the fundamentals obviously being essential and so on and so forth. And uh, just as an anecdote, I just went through this process on a bikepacking trip where I went to Iceland mixed surfaces, lots of unknowns, a lot of preparation in terms of gear um, and obsessing over, do I bring this rain jacket or this rain jacket? Do I bring one pair of socks or two pairs of socks? You get out there, that stuff kind of falls away. You don't really have to think about any of that. The decisions are made, but what you do have to rely on and you hope that you've developed beforehand is this, is the the ability to improvise uh, the ability to assess a situation and to make sound judgment calls and decisions based on that. And that applies to bikepacking in the wilderness of Iceland or in a criterium. If you haven't faced a situation before in a criterium and things are happening at lightning speed, then you're probably going to get super flustered. But if you've maybe visualized things, you've gone through scenarios in your head, whether you've experienced them in other races or not, you can tap into some of that and say, okay, uh, I've dealt with this before, or I've dealt with this in a an imaginary scenario. I've got multiple choices here, and quickly make the assessment and quickly make the call on what you need to do. Um, hopefully, I'm not rambling too much, but I think globally and generally speaking, you have to prepare really well, and then you kind of have to for not forget it, but ignore all that stuff and let it let it sit in the back of your mind and not obsess over it anymore and just focus on the present and the what's sitting there right in front of you, which is race. 100%. Yeah. I think you, you build up a good foundation just like you do in training. And then like Aaron said, it's just adaptability. And that's one of the things like Aaron and I both work um, with a foundation that, you know, helps uh, with development of younger riders. And I think that's the number one message we're always trying to get through is like, yeah, you know, there's, there's a million things you think you have control of and you, and you want to get on this team. And there's just like, these kids have so much data available to them and they, they want things right away. But in the end, they, they don't have control over that situation, build a good foundation, build a good engine, and then be adaptable, go over to Europe with an open mind and, don't obsess about like things that are supposed to happen. Just roll with the situation. And, you know, one of the things that happens is there's a freedom to that. And there's a happiness with that because every situation is kind of a bonus. Whereas if you have in your mind exactly how things are supposed to roll, 
I just found for myself, and I'm sure it's a lot the same for other people, is that you just you you don't really enjoy the moment ever. You're just always looking at down the road at the next thing. So yeah. In the end, we're just trying to enjoy biking, whether that's right. ra- racing a crit or going on a bike packing tour in Iceland, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I like to uh, think of this in terms of a, a really great TV show that hopefully all of our listeners know. Um, and it's become a, a piece of pop culture. You know, when somebody has is faced with a scenario and they don't know how to figure it out, but they then use a piece of duct tape and gum to figure it out or create the solution, they talk about MacGyver. <laughs> and I think that, that uh, maybe it's a stretch, but I feel like that having that mentality, like nothing's impossible and you can always figure it out if you have access to um, a few things and, and mostly your brain, you can figure it out and, and come up with a, a solution in, in the, any situation you're faced with. So I want to bring this back to the original question and, and answer this for our listeners, because obviously most of our listeners are not going to the Olympics. A lot of our listeners, um, they, they might do some racing or they'll do events like a Grand Fondo, but they're not trying to go pro. They're not trying to hit that highest level. That said, I get a lot of emails, and what really sparked this this the idea behind this episode uh, I get a lot of emails from our listeners saying, you know, I'm, I'm my whole focus this season, there's, there's a grand fondo coming up or there's this event coming up or some might try to go to nationals. And we see them just either they're only doing a single event in a season or their whole season is about a single event. And I would just want to throw this at the, the two of you and say, ask first the question, how wise do you think that is? And then the second question is, if they're only going to focus on one event like that, what are your recommendations to them to, to make sure they, they look back and say, this was a, still a good season for me? I think it's dangerous to put so much into one day, no matter what level, no matter what it is. I think um, I get it more at the the world championship level, the Olympic level for a lot of athletes, that's just what you have to do. But that's a different scenario than someone who's trying to go out and get the most out of a grand fondo, no matter what level that is. You have to go back to that whole idea of of trying to build a good experience up to that moment where it's been more a part of the journey than the outcome of that result on that day. Because what I think a lot of people do is they, they stress and do so much crazy stuff in between with blinders on looking just towards that day and what they think it's going to be. And quite often those days are never what they think. And then they've been kind of miserable in the buildup and then maybe the day goes great and that's, that's nice. And, and they're happy about that. Hopefully that's the case, but quite often it's not because uh, a lot of people have very big objectives in those types of things, and and quite often it won't play out like they thought. And then you run the risk of also being miserable after the event. So I think it could just be better to have like an overall approach about that journey of training and just the idea of like health, lifestyle, and focusing on those things, like the benefits of what you're actually doing, the social aspect of cycling, 
Um, just looking at all these other variables as as part of the build up to that, as part of that's what you're getting out of this experience. And then the day is going to be whatever it is. And if it's awesome, then that's a bonus. But yeah, I think, I don't know. That's how I would hope I would look at something like a Grand Fondo later on in life. Um, and I actually feel I do that even now. Like I go out because I love biking. Um, the end outcome for me. Yeah, I have an idea of how a trip's going to look quite often. It never is like that. That's how I would leave it because <laughs> it is tricky. I mean, I know people want results and they want to have something they can take home and, and be proud of. And But you should be proud of that whole journey, that whole effort, because it's it's all just part of a process. And then the fact that you can gauge with all the different data and training devices we have, uh, you can actually gauge that progression. It's something pretty cool you can take home with you. Focusing on that one event, it can be very mentally tiring. Um, I know during my year of trying to focus on the Olympics, during that early springtime, when I didn't have the greatest form, I really missed those times in the year or those smaller races where I got results that gave me the motivation, reminded me that it was fun to race and, and gave me that confidence to keep going on. And I know when I took that season and I was never in super good form and the other, I never got the results that I was used to or I wanted. And then the other Canadians were often beating me in races. I actually started to kind of like doubt myself. And I think mentally that was very hard on me, just not having that typical season that I was used to and those typical results of the small little prizes of like winning a race or doing well and having the fitness to attack and have fun in the race. I was missing that. And I started doubting my, my plan. I started doubting my fitness and I know mentally that was really, really hard on me. Um, whereas the other years when I was doing a typical season of having multiple smaller peaks and, um, and kind of having good fitness year round, it, it was just more fun, to be honest. Um, it gave me more enjoyment in my season. It gave me more to look forward to and more to focus on at smaller chunks of time, which I think um, helped my focus in those years. Whereas the Olympic year, it was just such a long stretch of waiting and waiting for this fitness to arrive that did eventually arrive come, come the summer. But it was just such a long year of that, that it was really tiring, really mentally tiring. Completely agree. I've actually had a bit of that experience uh, this year myself. So we're doing the, what we're calling the N1 challenge here, which is each of us have picked an event to focus on. And mine is at the end of August. Right. And so I started racing in the spring, but was not trying to be on top form in the spring because my my one event. So the, the, you know, I rarely ever focus on a single event, but this year I'm doing that. Uh, my one event was so far away, I didn't want to be on top fitness. And it beat me up to go to these races. And yeah, I had some breakaways. I had some moments, but for the most part, I wasn't performing very well. And, and it was ceasing to be fun. And one uh -huh. of the things I changed this summer is just said, I have to go to a few races to go and perform and, and remind myself this is enjoyable. Exactly. I mean, we're all out there 
in reality because we love bike racing and because we love what we're doing. And we were lucky enough to do that as a career. Focusing on that one event is just very tiring. And in my opinion, it can take that fun out of what you're doing. I think the, the smaller chunks of focus on certain events throughout the season can give a lot more enjoyment and take a lot of the stress off of um, the big event. Totally. Adding some other objectives, like, like, yeah, you have this grand fondo, but maybe like a challenge with your friends, like some epic loop, you know, like adding some things that challenge you, not in that, in that same way of like competition results and all that, but things that you can kind of look forward to throughout that build up to that one big event, because it's like Aaron said, you get the, that bit of confidence, right? You get, uh, whereas like when you're just waiting for that one thing, you obsess and you don't, you don't know how you're going to perform on the day or, but at least if you're out with your buddies, having a good time, smashing it, you're going to know how that day is going to be a lot more than if you just keep in this training routine by yourself, um, you know, obsessing about some great result at a, at a Grand Fondo. I've had many amateur athletes tell me they aren't pros, so they don't want to focus on multiple events. But as sports psychologist Julie Emmerman explains, a single event focus may not actually make things easier. It seems to me that that sets the individual up for way too much pressure on one event. And so in their attempt to see themselves as not, quote unquote, as serious, it actually puts so much pressure on one event that it becomes, you know, increasingly important as the event draws nearer and, and that event takes on more and more significance. Whereas if you have a series of events to train for, enjoy, experience, learn from, you know, you're going to offer yourself a much greater learning experience as well as probably a sense of community with the other athletes that you're surrounded by. Who knows if that includes also travel experiences and whatnot. And you don't have to categorize yourself as quote unquote serious, but you're offering yourself more opportunities to learn and improve and thereby work, you know, be that much more efficient towards working towards your goals. No, no, I, I definitely agree that it's fun to choose one or two, maybe even three events scattered throughout the year, depending on, on how your season is or, or what your specific discipline is within your sport. But it is fun to create, you know, this is my A priority race. This is the one I'm really excited about. And that could be because maybe the course suits you or it's been a location that you really like or you have other good memories there. It doesn't matter what it is, but as long as you put a higher degree of value on that event, and you make it your A event, then I just think it's smarter to have other events that are, you know, deemed less important that you can experience leading up to that so that you can just get the niggles out. You go through all the nerves, you can practice what kind of, you know, mindset you want to have, how to practice all your mental skills, as well as just acclimate to things like, you know, how are you going to do your warm up when you're 500 miles from home or, um, you know, what kind of trainer do you use on the road or do you practice, do you warm up on the road? Just getting used to all the different variables will be helpful in preparing you for that A race down the road. If you've seen any of our Fast Talk Laboratories videos lately, you've seen our colorful new cycling kits from Panache Cyclewear. 
Founded a mile or two from our headquarters in downtown Boulder, Colorado, Panache crafts its team and club kits from high-end Italian fabrics and chamois pads designed to perform to the highest standards. From Panache, you can expect supreme comfort and vibrant colors. Whether you're a roadie, cross racer, or simply prefer to tear up some gravel back roads, Panache Cyclewear has a style for you. See their new designs, patterns, and accessories at panachecyclewear.com. The, the one thing I would add here to, to uh, play devil's advocate a little bit is that the results uh, often will uh, determine a little bit more about how you feel your your focus went or, or that the process went, whether it's a one one focus type scenario or a multiple focus type scenario. What I mean is if you focus on the national championships uh, one year and you say, you know what, I'm just going to go through this season as if it's one big training session leading up to this one big event and you go to nationals and you absolutely smash it. I think your perspective is, damn, I pulled it off. I did it right. I took a risk, and the reward was I won the national championship that I wanted. Uh, I think on the flip side, however, if you do that, if you take that approach, you do everything, sacrifice essentially every other result for that one, and then you go to nationals and you you know something happens that means you don't win, whether that's a mechanical or something you're like well shit i just wasted an entire year preparing for this one event and i got nothing out of this season so i think that the result really does matter and and the reward for putting in a lot of hard work and and focus on a single event can pay off but only if the result is there and of course, that means you'd run the risk if the result isn't there of feeling like you've you've wasted a bunch of time or you've sacrificed a bunch of time or you've just done it completely wrong. I don't know if everybody agrees with that, but I, I do think, I know you, you've all said the result isn't what you should be focusing on, but I think that for a lot of people out there listening, uh, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but the result is what they're after. And and we can get we could another conversation entirely about whether that's the right approach and whether you're going to actually get what you want out of that medal or that little trophy or the free tubes that you won at your local race based on that result is is right or not. But I think that the result does play a role in how you feel about your approach. I think you're right. There can be a whole other conversation about that. And yeah, the result is like at the end of the day, it's like what everyone's striving for is some kind of result because we're trying to calibrate ourselves up against others in competition. So it's always going to be a factor, but I, I think the there's a way bigger conversation in what you're actually trying to get out of this. Like, what are you doing? And I think we could go on for hours about that. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely, absolutely true. Um, and maybe we should at some other time on a different episode. I just know that, again, not placing judgment on whether it's healthy or unhealthy, good or bad, that that is a, that is a question that will be in the minds of listeners is, uh, I want that result. Isn't it okay if I do everything I can and I get that result? Well, yes, it is in a way. Totally. Mm-hmm. 
It just it's just the odds are way slimmer. Let's just put it that way to get exactly what you're looking for. Right. In in yep. my opinion. Yeah, and I and that's the risk. That's the big risk. Yeah. And I, I think what the two of you said earlier is really important, which is if you put all your eggs in that one basket and really focus on it, inevitably your mind's going to go down the what are the all the little things that I can do to make sure I'm I'm really honed in for this race. And you know, Chris, we even did an episode on this: focus on the the ninety five percent, not the five percent. There's a real danger of losing your perspective and focusing on a whole bunch of things that don't matter at the expense of the things that do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I bring up this point a little bit uh, because of personal experience and Trevor, you know about this because I, I said to myself, I've done kind of everything I want to do. And again, this is at an amateur level when it comes to cyclocross in a state in Colorado where there's a lot of good racers. I've won this race and I've won that race. And this time, this year, I want to really focus on nationals. I've, I've gone to nationals and I've had great results before, but this time I want to just focus on nationals. And I put my eggs in that basket and I actually had a great season. I won everything again or what, you know, I did well. I did, did what I wanted to do in all those races leading up to nationals. And then I had a really poor performance at nationals. So to me, the season would have been great had it been a different result at nationals. But then because I focused so much on that one event and that's where I put all my emphasis, that the rest of the results that season kind of fell by the wayside and I didn't take a lot of uh, satisfaction or gratification from those, which which is the, another problem that people will run into. They'll overlook those smaller successes uh, and sacrifice them because of this this uh, obsession with the one focus, and that's that I would say is wrong and uh, somewhat unhealthy. Because again, we're doing this for the fun and the joy that it brings us. And if you just, uh, f- uh, you know, like turn the page so quickly on those small successes, then you're missing out on ninety five percent of why you do it, which is enjoyment, fun, health. All of that. Well, yeah, I'll I'll share my nationals. This is my story of of something you regret, and, and maybe we'll cut this out later because this really more about uh, Swain and Aaron than me. But I'll quickly share my story of 2011, where I was really focused on nationals, and I'll point out Swain, you won nationals that year. Um, but a month before nationals, I was at Joe Martin, uh, broke away with Francisco Mancebo and was virtual leader out on the road and didn't capitalize it because what was going through my head is this is not my target race. I'm focused on nationals, which was just a really stupid thing to, to think and to do uh, and didn't do as well in that race as I could have because it wasn't my, my target race. Then I get to nationals a, a month later on some of the best form of my life. Seven minutes into a race, the guy beside me fell over, landed on top of me, and that was the end of my race. Sounds like a nationals, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, I guess that brings up the the point of if you're too focused on one event, then you fail to seize the opportunities to have joy and success at uh, other events that year or other other um, experiences leading up to that event. So that's a risk. And in, in my scenario, it's more, um, yeah, you didn't fail to to seize those opportunities, you just failed to uh, uh, 
capitalize on the rewards you would feel from any type of success or joy or, or positive experience or, or, um, validation that the process is working. He just kind of dismissed it and moved on. Okay, that's great. But nationals, but nationals, but nationals or something like that. And my regret looking back on that is not nationals. I had no control over the guy falling over. My regret was having probably the race of my life at Joe Martin and not taking advantage of it. We've been discussing that all along. It's like you're just on this great journey of that year. You're missing out with just horse blinders on looking at the the thing that you have no control over. And you kind of had some control over that moment at Joe Martin, you know, more than nationals. And yeah, that's the risk. You just keep bypassing all these great moments in between. Yeah, it's kind of a, a live in the moment. And Swain, I have to point this out. I've always loved that tattoo you have on your arm of uh, never be here again, which I think speaks to this. It actually has, it parallels a lot of what we're talking about. I was living a life of, yeah, I was just looking towards the next thing all the time and missing these beautiful moments. I think of like our life in cycling. I know Aaron is the same, like you travel all these great places and your mind's just on the thing. You're obsessing about, and you're you're missing out on all these great experiences. You know, I think back to our Symmetrics days uh, with a lot of the Canadian boys here, we were going down to South America on these crazy adventures. And, and uh, I hit a point in my life where I was just like, I realized I wasn't actually enjoying the moments. I was just thinking about the thing down the road. And I mean, tattoos are a funny thing because you do them when you're younger and you're like, oh man, that, you know, that's so crazy or whatever. And, but it's something that still holds true to me. Like I, I still feel that like there's so many times you're in a moment. And even if you go to the same place twice, you're never going to be that same person in that, in that same uh, zone. And I think to times when I've tried to recreate things that were awesome in my life, they're never the same. And they're never okay. as good. It's because you were, it was just part of what you were experiencing at that time of your life. And you were able to soak all those things in. But I guess the point is, is like, just be receptive to that. Like each moment could be the best moment of your life. And I know for a lot of people that might hear that and be like, oh, that's sounds like bullshit. No, but I know I bypassed a lot of great moments in my life, just obsessing and looking at the wrong thing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a reminder, but I for sure don't have it dialed. I'll tell you that. Like I'm still doing it, but it's something that I like to keep current in my life. To at least I hope that every now and then it hits home. I, I want to ask a follow up question. Um, we're getting pretty far off the topic in some ways, but I think that this might help people with the topic we're talking about, if that makes sense. And that is. You say you haven't got this dialed in yet, but what do you do, uh, meditation, mindfulness, training in that regard, to help you seize those moments or n to not, as you put it, bypass those moments? Both for both of you, Swain and Aaron and Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> well, kids will um, kind of sort that out because you let go of a lot of your own stuff and you hang out with kids and you get to see things through their eyes. So I'd say that's helped me a lot in my transition away from sport. How many kids uh, do you have? Uh, two now. Yep. And uh, yeah, four month old. So she 
you know, they add a lot more spice to life. The second mm -hmm. one is, I know Aaron knows. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in the like day-to-day -day stuff, I'm a big fan of like just going and walking in the morning and kind of almost like planning out your day, not in a real structure, but like, what's your intention? What's your point of the day? And then I'm also a big fan of yoga. So I try and get those moments. And then obviously cycling, I think for a lot of us is, is quite, um, it's like a form of meditation and, uh, it's a big part of why I've done it all these years is I go out for a big ride and I feel pretty damn good when I come home. So that's, I mean, you can probably go into all the scientific aspects of that, but all I need to know is it makes you feel good and it sorts out a lot of stuff in the head and that's good <laughs> enough for me. That's perfect. Yes, absolutely. We all know that feeling well. My dad always just saying, change the channel, change the channel, Aaron. If you're upset, change the channel. Think about ice cream. Stop thinking about that. And I've always held that um, to heart and uh, kind of followed that in my life. You know, everything's always a choice. You can choose to wake up grumpy or you can choose to wake up happy and remember your days and, and live them freely and openly and, and all that. So I think for me, I have really taken those two things to heart. And I try to do that every day to wake up and take that choice of living my life to the fullest and living it happily. And you got to do that with kids too, right? It goes so fast. And it's so easy to get into the rut of being in a rush or being, you know, having to go somewhere. And I think often, no, change the channel, slow it down, choose to be happy, choose to, choose to enjoy it, choose to remember it. And uh, those kind of came from my childhood and my dad. Um, he was a bike racer as well. And so those, I think lots of those words may come from Saul Miller, who was a psychologist sports psychologist yep. that he worked with but um but they worked for me throughout my life so even today i still use them are there any other things that either of you would like to share to add to this before we we start to wrap it up there's a ton more conversation just in that whole mental aspect the other side of it like what are you actually trying to uh, achieve out of this because i think for a lot of people, they're living way too seriously for the reality of what they're actually doing. I get, I get the lockdown, crazy discipline at the world tour level. That's a job. But for the people that are doing grand fondos and like, you know, local events, it's not that serious. So you shouldn't be so crazy about it. You should be having fun. And I think in the end, your results would be a lot better if you just took it that way. So. Mm -hmm. I think there's <laughs> there's a big conversation there, how to how to do it in a way where you can come off without sounding like a a dick about it, um, could be really could be really important. Yeah, but Swain, I think also even at the professional level, that holds true. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> like as much as the professional level, you got to dial it more. It's still like the day, the years and the seasons where I had good teammates and we had good chemistry, good like culture, yeah. good culture. Those were the years where successes happened. It, yeah. You know, like totally. I think it holds true everywhere. And we, we do forget about that the more serious we get. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's, you got to have that culture and the chemistry and 
keep things light. And in my opinion, in my experience, as I think for you, it, that's where the success comes. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is a great point from both of you. I wonder if we could explore that a little bit more uh, because I think there's a, as with so many things, there's a balance there. You can't always be goofing around and still expect success to follow, I don't think. Uh, How would you recommend somebody balance the lightheartedness it takes to keep joy in their training and racing, but also be serious enough that they uh, sort of fulfill their, their potential or live up to the expectations they, they've set for themselves. I think if we could answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a golden be, answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, I uh, think. If individually each person is going to be different, um, I think, don't you agree? Like there is no magic answer to that. Uh, you have to listen to what's important to you and what works for you. you. There's trial and error to it as well. I like to ask the hard questions, guys. What do you think, Swain? <laughs> well, I think, again, like, yeah, there's there's no right answer. And each case is different. And the, the sport attracts a certain type of individual, a, a type A individual who likes to to get serious and really obsess about things. But, again, I think... It's like so much of life and, and that it's hard to convince to someone who's in that moment in their life. Um, but it's about perspective on everything and how you perceive stress. And I think that's the biggest factor is if you're always perceiving everything as a stressor and like it's so hard and you're, you're, you're having to do so much discipline. It's just, it's not a fun way to go through, through life if it's just about, um, and going back to your comment too, Aaron, like it's totally true. Professionals don't have to live that way. Yeah, we have to work hard. Uh, we have to like do our training in a specific way, but it it comes back to that perspective. How are you going about each day? And just that question you ask yourself, like you get up in the morning and you're like, how am I going to look at these things? And I remember that's how, you know, I in Grand Tours, I would, I would go do some yoga before each day and spend time outside. And, and in my head, I was try, always trying to assess how I was going to approach each day. What was my, my goal for, for that time? And it really helped me kind of understand what were the, the real goals, not just if I was just going along with uh, everything else, like in not thinking about it. It was just having that awareness of how I want to approach each day. So it, it's, <laughs> it's a super complex question and nothing that I have the answer for. But if I'm going to say anything, it's um, to sum it all up. It's just how, how do you perceive stress and what's your perspective on what your, your actual goal is out of this? It raises two questions in my mind. I'll, I'll hit, hit you with one of them now and then we'll see. Uh, if I can uh, remember the second one for later, but uh, just to to go back to the you you made the point that so many amateur cyclists out there maybe they just take it too seriously. I guess my question is playing devil's advocate here. What if taking it seriously is exactly what brings them joy? Maybe there other things going on in their life they just 
aren't happy about, and I'm making up a scenario that may or may not be plausible, the the focus that they can bring to the sport and that seriousness is exactly what brings them joy. I, I think in that case, what, w- what would you say in that case to that person? I think for some people, you, you're, you're bang on and they need, they might need that in their life, but I think you have to be careful that you're not running away from other things. And I think that's the thing that I get a little leery about when I see, I'll just speak from my own example of like grown men who have families who have jobs and they're obsessing about their bike racing in the local bike race. And they're living like a professional and they're sacrificing other aspects of their life that, you know, I think just, again, my opinion are more important than their local result in the crit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it becomes dangerous. So you have to, it's great if it's an outlet that's actually like a benefit to your life and adding some good things to your life, some good value but it's not healthy if it's taking away from the things that are truly important, which are your family and how you support that family. Something I want to add. So Chris, you know, I started my coaching career working with younger athletes who were trying to go from the amateur to the pro ranks and and really enjoyed working with that, uh, that group. But something that I saw pretty much every single athlete deal with, and it was a career ender for, for many was that transition from something that had been their enjoyment, their fun, their their release to becoming really serious and becoming their job and how hard that was on every almost every athlete then finding that balance. I rarely saw it be a pro when they said, now this is my, my sole focus and I need to be really serious about it. It was much more where do I get my enjoyment in life now? And the, the ones who couldn't find that enjoyment ended up quitting, and some of them had a lot of potential. Uh, it was the ones that could either go back to keeping, even though it was now their job, keeping cycling fun that were successful or found other things to, to enjoy. That's interesting, Trevor. Yeah, I could see that happening a lot, um, especially these days with all the technology technology and gadgets that the young riders are are using for training it it takes a lot away a lot of the fun i think swain and i have discussed this stuff before with the the um the funding group that we work with with these young riders like swain and i both started racing without all those gadgets and we didn't have power meters at the beginning and and those were the fun days where, you know, you just go out and you hammer and you, you go back and you're wrecked and, but you've, you know, kicked the crap out of your friends and your training partners and eaten some candy. And now you go home and you sleep. Um, and I think today's generation probably does have a lot of a harder time finding the enjoyment with all those numbers. And it would be a balance of, you know, maybe letting the computers go once a week and just going out and having fun with your friends. And remembering those times of just like hammering the hammering the roads and and having fun on it, right? And getting back to the basics of of just bike riding. Totally. I always like to say if I could have seen uh, Philip Ogano's uh, power files, I probably would have quit the sport immediately. 
Oh, Filippo Ganna. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so for those who uh, don't know, uh, very, very talented Italian uh, time trial specialist, I guess you could call him, who um, has won uh, several big uh, TTs this year. Yeah, he's just he's just uh, puts out more watts than than anyone. It'd be it's scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's saying something, Swain, because I've seen your power files. If he scares you, oh yeah, I mean this this guy, it's just next level. The level just keeps going up and up. It's it's insane. Wow. So so another question that came to my mind when you were uh, discussing the the whether to be serious uh, or the balance between seriousness and, and uh, lightheartedness. Uh, again, I'm not sure how much this pertains to uh, our listeners out there, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your answer, which is, and I don't know which rider to focus on, but I'll, I'll just pick someone like uh, Chris Froome. Or may, maybe, maybe you can give me an example of a former teammate, but I, I feel like there are certain riders uh, – that reach a certain level that probably sacrifice whether they know it or not some amount of joy in life because they're so they take it so seriously as a professional athlete to get to the level they get to and then at some point they either they retire or they crack and they become a different kind of rider because they cannot sustain that level of seriousness H- have you seen that is that is that true and and I guess the question is, would they have ever gotten to the level they got at if they didn't take it so seriously? Well, I think there's a there's a pretty big caveat here, um, and I'm going to say for general classification, uh, Grand Tour guys, the guys who are yeah going for the tour, whatever, the GC guys, they are a different breed, and I think they have to be. That's again, it's my personal opinion, but. I think it's really hard for them to be super happy-go-lucky all the time. I have seen some that get close, but I think the nature of that job, it's just, it's so insane. And it's so all in for that three-week period that it's really hard. So the caveat is, is like, there's guys who are doing the job and their day in and day out work is it's stressful at moments, but it's mm-hmm. not stressful all the time. So like a grand tour leader or guy uh leading the team he's obsessing about sleep he's obsessing about the recovery as soon he's in the bus he's obsessing about the next day what kind of weather it is it's like it's 24 7 for those guys because they have to be fighting for every little bit out there right and grand tours like the giro will throw everything at you whereas the guys who are doing the work or say the sprinters their days are switched on and off mm-hmm. so they can afford like, you know, like a sprinter or a roller, they'll just, when uh, they, their job's done for the day, they're in the gruppetto, they come rolling in, they eat some food. Everything's a bit of a laugh, you know, cause they know their day's not for another couple days or maybe just they have a bit of work to do the next day. So it's a very different mentality as you can imagine to, you know, to be so happy go lucky all the time as a GC leader compared to yeah. a guy who's working for specific moments in a bike race. Yes. Understood. Yep. That makes total sense. We were talking about this before the, the show. Um, 
you know, I learned as a, a team manager that you ask in the the meeting with the team before the race, you know, who wants the leadership, who, who wants the mantle on their shoulders, and everybody puts up their hand in the team meeting. But in the actual race, there's only a couple people that are actually willing to put up their hand and, and take on that pressure of, now the whole team's working for me and I have to deliver or I let down the whole team. Most people don't want that pressure. And when you're talking about something about like the Tour de France, that pressure is extraordinary. And I do believe it takes a very unique person mentally to be able to handle it. 100%. Well, th this episode's really been filled with a lot of uh, great pieces of wisdom. And, and I'd like to bring it back to what our the main theme was meant to be, which is this idea of how to focus and where to focus and where to place your focus. We typically will end episodes with uh, one-minute take-homes, but I'll, I'll give you, you're nice Canadians, I'll give each of you as much time as you want. <laughs> Sorry. Um, do, do we get a metric minute? A metric minute, yes, you get a metric minute. Give us your take-home message from everything that we've spoken about or an aspect of what we've spoken about and, and let people know what you think is the most important message from, from the episode. Erin, uh, I'll start with you. Focusing on multiple events can often be more enjoyment and be a bit less stressful. Uh, but however, if you want to focus on that one event for a token year, um, you know, sometimes that result pays off and, and, and lots of people will do that and choose to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it comes at a cost and it comes at a risk and sometimes it's worth it. Right. Trevor, why don't you go next? What I got out of this is don't forget the experience along the way, whether you're focusing on multiple events or a single event it's really easy to to be looking at the horizon so much that you pass up on the really great experiences that you could have along the way. So that that you know, I've always loved your Swain, your story of that that tattoo and never be here again. I, I always thought that was a, a great bit of wisdom that I personally have tried to apply of no matter what my goals are, no matter what my targets, when I have one of those moments in life, enjoy it. Uh, I think you guys both uh, summed it up really well. I think one of the things that really struck me through the conversation was that there's plenty more to talk about here. And a lot of it has to do with just what exactly are you trying to pull out of what you're doing? Like what's, what's the end goal? Is it uh, to enjoy like like just enjoy the sport or you, you know, considering the level you're at and, and just, yeah. What, what's your end goal here? Like, because just like Trevor said, it's this whole process that I'm going to say after doing this sport for all those years, it was, it was about the season. It was about looking at the whole picture. It was about all of the little stuff in between. And yeah, there were some great moments here and there, and sometimes the stars aligned, but I'll tell you, even in 20 years of racing, <laughs> they rarely aligned on the race day. I can probably think back out of 20 years of racing and I don't know how many races 
how many times they aligned perfectly. And that was a lot of opportunity. Um, probably I can count maybe three times. So with those ratios in mind, and I wasn't the, the most talented bike racer, obviously there's, uh, there's guys where it definitely lines up a lot more, but even then there's, you know, like a great years is five to 10 races, one out of 80. Uh, those are still pretty small numbers. And that's like the, the super freaks of the sport that pull that off. So yeah, it's just about asking yourself, what are you actually trying to achieve and what would make you happy? And so like Trevor said, enjoying all those moments in between is going to be super important. So yeah, hope that makes sense. But don't give me the credit because I stole that idea from you, or at least you taught me that many years ago. Chris, you have any final thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I I think I'll just be repeating what you guys have already said, which is um, no matter what you do in terms of your focus, I think keeping a healthy perspective, and obviously it's debatable what what we mean by healthy, but um, uh, doing it for the right reasons, um, if you're if you're banking on uh, a, a single victory at a single big event because that is going to bring you you feel like that's going to bring you value as a person or the the success you've never had and it's going to make you happier than you've ever been before i think you're doing it for the wrong reasons um if if you uh focus on the process if you focus on the the daily um, purpose of what you're doing, then there are, you you've increased the chances that you'll have so much more joy and fulfillment from what you're doing. And I think because of that, you'll also increase your chances of having success, however you define that, whether it's big or small. So that doesn't really answer is one better than the other, but I think in a, in a way it sort of does. Um, we, it's not unlike the conclusion we drew from the episode on uh, that episode 121 on building. Is it better to build the best engine or, or focus on specificity? And generally speaking, if you build the best engine, you've built the best version of yourself. Uh, so you should be able to go out and apply it in a lot of different scenarios and have a lot of success. So in this case, if you build the, the best mindset and you build the best engine and you go out and you focus on one grand fondo or one race or several races then you know you you uh set yourself up for a, as much success as you can possibly have which is ultimately what you're looking for great thank you that was uh, as you said i think we could have got another three hours on this conversation but i think the listeners are going to get a lot out of that episode so uh, as i suspected with the two of you so truly appreciate it yeah you're well, welcome trevor yes thanks thanks for joining us that was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Swain Tuft, Aaron Zarzadius, Julie Emmerman, Kendra Wenzel, and Trevor Connor. I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.